Hey, it's the Straight Dope episode 64. I am going to look back and reflect on my tripod use and tripods that I use since putting out a video a few years ago that people still reach out to me and discuss. Somebody reached out today and I realized, holy crap, it's been a couple of years. And those same tripods have continued to get used and I should probably talk about my experience since then because years have elapsed and we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of field hours under the rifle in different conditions that they've been used in, um, that's good information of my personal experience, my personal opinions, and my personal reflections. It might not be uh, scientific because I have the ones that I have because those are the ones that I bought, but because I bought them, I can talk about them freely, and that's cool. I've been sending out subcoms to Riflecraft users, and we're doing a subscriber kind of data sourcing based on some scope observations. So I'd be psyched to talk about that when the data comes back. So subscribers, as they get back to me, and I've been getting a lot of feedback from them about some optical issues that I saw. And it turns out a lot of people are seeing them or, or they were unaware that they were happening. And that's just kind of like a public service announcement. But I want to have some feedback from people on what you can look for and what you might be able to do if you see those things, um, and it's just a heads up, I, I, I really don't know other than just being able to say, share um, feedback from hundreds of people about something that I saw that could affect you, and it might not. The ways you could support the podcast, as you know, are subscribing to riflecraft.com. It gives you access to more analytics. It gives you direct emails from me on a weekly basis or multi-times-a-week basis with training drills, ideas, thoughts, and stuff like uh, like that. I've got some codes coming here from AccuFire, and um, you, know, you help support the podcast and the website. So even if you don't use the website, which I think you should, it does support the podcast, which is pretty cool. Another way is that we picked up a couple sponsors and the one that I'm talking about right now and trying to layer in just kind of as we go advertisements are AccuFireTech.com. For now, go to their website and just see what they have to offer. See if the range of scopes that they offer overlap with the range and use case of your rifles and your rifle systems. I have been testing them and have found... Nothing really wrong with the scopes that I bought or won off the price table. And as a result, I feel comfortable bringing them on as a sponsor and talking about their products. I'm going to talk about them kind of layered out over the next month, a little bit at a time. But I have uh, quite a bit of experience now with the Atro 20. And I have quite a bit of experience now with the Omnis spotting scope. I also have uh, 1 to 6, 1 to 8. And um, 3 to 12 scopes that I haven't quite tested yet enough to talk about comfortably. Price point, they're much more affordable than some of the higher scopes, but I haven't found a use case or a case scenario where the Atro 20 can't do exactly what my more expensive scopes can do. And I've found more expensive scopes that have optical and mechanical flaws. Um, so price doesn't always equal better. And that's the case with AccuFire. So for now, just uh, try to raise the hits to their website. Check out their products. Ask me questions directly if you want to. I'm going to bring the CEO on and talk on a podcast here in the near future to talk about some of their products. But again, like this is an informational thing. I don't want it just to be 
um, and add, and I also like to be able to be straightforward and clear and um, not misleading about the stuff that comes on. For now, I have found no flaws with the scopes that I have and I've been testing. Therefore, I feel comfortable taking the Atro 20 to any match in any conditions because I haven't found the case where it doesn't do what some of my other ones do. But I'll keep testing it and I'll keep getting back to you. So let's get back to a couple other things. A couple of years ago, I was training for Assassin's Way. And a big part, in my opinion, of Assassin's Way that I needed to put in some emphasis on, some training and, and, and a lot of testing was tripods. Because when you go into the field, you don't know how you're going to build a position. One way to mitigate the effects of unknown positions is bring, you know, essentially a barricade with you that you could determine the height, you could determine the settings, you could determine the stability. So a tripod made a lot of sense. And from there, I got comfortable shooting at any height off of all sorts of tripods. And one of the outcomes of that is the rifle craft process of standing, kneeling, seated prone, just taking not necessarily a fixed height, but saying, can you apply your fundamentals consistently when your body and rifle are in different positions in terms of height? And does your natural point of aim, does your shot process and fundamentals, are they transferable from you know one height to another because I think that that ultimately uh, a good rifleman can transfer their fundamentals across heights right and that that was one of the things that I want to be able to do so I started to go out and test things but it's expensive to get gear and um, even though you know I get razzed by some people and they they expect that that things are kind of just given to me they're not and I paid for everything so I did not get a chance to test every tripod out there. And some people from other tripod companies said, well, buy this one, buy this one, buy this one. And, and my answer was, I can't afford to buy all those things. You know, I bought what I bought and I'm testing and comparing them and, and talking about my results. Well, it boiled down to the really right stuff, Anvil as the ball head of choice. There really was no ball head that could compete. The, the two vets ones, I broke them all. Like they just did not work in the field. They just broke. And Dan was fortunate. Uh, he was nice enough at the time. Like, I mean, not nice. That sounds weird. He was nice enough when I broke them, when I said, hey, look, I broke these to send replacements. But I kept breaking them to the point where it's like every single one I broke, like, okay, I, I, I'm not, <laughs> we don't need to keep testing these. Like, I can't use this in the field because I can't replace it in the field when I'm in the field for a month. The really right stuff, Anvil, just never had an issue. In fact, I never had an issue in three years, and I have four of them. And I put them on all my all my tripods, so uh, that's something that they did good. I don't have one of the I don't have the new ones with the locking little mechanism, and you know I I guess I don't care that I don't have the locking mechanism because it doesn't doesn't mean much or do much to my shooting. I've screwed around with them a little bit, and I'm just not as fast with it because I haven't spent the time developing those um, neurological patterns. You could say muscle memory, but then like Kalen will get mad because he'll say there's no muscle memory. <laughs> I love you, Kalen. Um, the the patterns that I've developed are around using the old Anvil 30 ball heads and I'm really good and fast with it and I feel comfortable shooting with it in any condition and a lot of times I'll go to a match and I'll just shoot off my tripod clipped in to a ball head the Anvil 30 and I'll do just fine right um, I just I don't I don't feel different shooting standing kneeling seated or prone clipped into that uh, ball head I like it but 
at the time, I was cross comparing the really right stuff tripod that I had with the. Uh, I had at the time I had a forty mic mic, and that right now is clipped up to my microphone here recording the podcast. It's really beat up, and it's just not feel friendly. I, I'll still use it from time to time, but really now it's a mic stand. And then I had a um, a QDT and a Recon, and the the QDT is a little long for some packing scenarios. It's I don't care about the weight. Um, and most of the time, I will argue in the bias of justifying carrying more weight based on it can do more, it provides more function. So uh, that's just a little side note. If I will never say, oh, but this thing's lighter, unless I can do more with it or at least be exactly the same proficiency-wise. But if, if, if sacrificing weight means sacrificing performance, fuck that. Like, I can't think of a use case scenario where that's a good idea. But the videos that I was putting out, there was, there was a couple things. And the main points in the video put out a couple years ago is that I broke all of them. And the parts that I broke were the gaskets on the inside of the leg that, that allow you to extend and then, and then snug fit the leg. I, I don't know the technical terms for those parts, and I, or maybe I did, but I forgot, but the little gaskets in there that pinch together and you extend the leg and then whatever you extend it to, you cinch it tight by turning the legs clockwise or counterclockwise, depending on the legs, the tripod that you're using. And over time, stuff gets in there and wear and tear causes those things to break. Now at the time, I spent more on the really right stuff tripod. And I can't remember the exact price it was. I think it was 1200 bucks, but I got, I, the ball head came with it. And it was twelve hundred bucks. And at the time, the the tripod that I bought, I think, was was six hundred bucks from from two vets, something like that. Six or you know five or six hundred dollars. I didn't I didn't consider that the ball head itself was was three hundred dollars or so, um, which would make it like a nine hundred dollar compared to a twelve hundred dollar tripod. But but nonetheless, you know nine hundred to twelve hundred, nine hundred still cheaper. So if they function the same and they perform the same, if everything is the same, but the cheaper one is is cheaper. I'm going to go with the cheaper one, right? I'm not, I'm not brand loyal in that sense. I'm, I'm function and reliability loyal. And at the time I'd broken both. And I pointed out that I called up Dan and he overnighted me little gaskets and I called up really right stuff and they wouldn't do that. They needed me to send it to them. And it took six weeks to turn around that product. And I think that six weeks was, was fast for them. Well, if, if, if you shoot and train and do stuff, inside of that six weeks time frame, like that's not really acceptable, especially if they break at the rate that I was breaking the two vets one. So at the time I said, you know, apples to apples, it's, it's not even a question. Two vets is cheaper. Two vets sends replacement parts. And then I put a, uh, you know, I, on the post that I said, I said, look, if you buy these two vets tripods, make sure in advance to have Dan send you more gaskets because you're going to break them. And tons of people did that. And most of those people thanked me afterwards saying, I keep breaking them and I keep replacing them, but I got this big bag of parts. And if you don't have those bags of parts, it's going to break and it's going to stop working to one extent or another. And that continues to happen. And it has continued to happen over the last two years. But I've continued to use my two vets and my really right stuff across probably, um, I, don't, I haven't really added them up. This year, I, I went to 12 competitions. So that's, that's at least 12. And then last year, I didn't qu do as quite as many, maybe, maybe eight. Uh, I'll have to add it up. But anyway, at least 20 competitions where I divided up the use of two vets and really right stuff, in addition to all the training and courses and 
using it for other stuff. Like I'll take it out for pictures and all that stuff. Since then, I would say that they both have equal mileage put on them. On well, I have three. So, um, and the the QDT, the the Recon. Somebody else has the QDT right now, and I haven't got it back yet. So let's just talk about the Recon and the 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 really right stuff one. If you notice on video, the diameter of the base that the ball head clips onto is bigger on the the Recon from the really right stuff one that I have. And somebody pointed that out and said, well, why don't you go get a really right stuff one with a wider base? Uh, you could send me one if you want to. Uh, message me, and I'll give you my mailing address. Otherwise, I got to use the stuff that I bought. And I noticed that the base diameter difference caused it one-tenth difference in the shooting group size, you know, across all positions, across hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of paper tests, I would get a 0.1 variance over, you know, 100 rounds. So what's 0.1 over 100 rounds? Pretty negligible, right? I'm not talking about PRS precision. I'm talking about hunter, competition dynamics, talking, and I'm just talking about knowing that the mechanical wobble that I get between the two is 0.1 difference. So the, the recon is a little bit more stable everything else being even. And it probably has to do with the diameter of the base, not the brand, right? And I thought that was pretty clear, and I thought people would see that. But they were brand, you know, people, they just tend to argue in favor of the brands that they own rather than thinking about what are the components here that we're talking about. So I thought that was pretty clear. I think base diameter makes a difference. The wider the base, the more stable your shots are going to be if the legs are, you know, reasonably thick legs. And I don't have the super skinny leg tripods because they flex and bend and they didn't even pass initial screening tests. Like those skinny little legs, no matter who makes the tripods, are pretty much worthless if you're talking about taking a precise shot. And most of us, if we have a bolt gun, the, the name of the game is precision. So measuring its capabilities is important. So, and that stayed true. I've become a better shooter over the last couple of years, but the difference I still have between those is, is a 0.1 shift and it's based on the diameter tripod. I have been able to shoot off of shooting partners, larger diameter, really right stuff tripods and other brands. And I, I can link it to the diameter being the, being the issue uh, not necessarily the brands, although the skinnier the legs of the tripod, if you shoot off those, there is going to be deviation in your shot group. How you shoot from a tripod has a huge influence on your point of impacts also, but this isn't about how to shoot. This is just about products and my testing on that. But, but the interesting thing is, um, since, since the, all of that initial stuff, I've continued to go in the field with all that stuff, and my really right stuff legs have never the gaskets have never broke since. So they broke once and it was a pain in the ass to get it fixed. And I dread the moment where something else breaks and I have to send it back to them because I don't like being apart from my gear for very long. But in two years of very heavy field abuse, I have not had a gasket break in my really right stuff. And I probably had 20 or 30 gaskets break in my two vests to the point where I can't even get gaskets and replacement parts that fast anymore. So I just run with them broken. And so my legs may or may not extend. And at every match they get hung up and stuck and um, or pull out or they don't work. And I just have to accommodate whether my tripod will actually extend off of kneeling. With, with everything broken down, if a leg's stuck or won't, if, if, if it won't lock down it when it's extended, then I fix it in and that's happened at matches where there was nothing I could do in the field at the moment 
Um, and then there was people there that, uh, shout out to Chad, who, who had replacement gaskets. I replaced them. It worked the next day. And then the third day, they broke again. And I kept pulling the leg out. So then I just, um, I, I just taped it in so that I could just shoot kneeling. And thankfully, I didn't have to go above kneeling. And it, and it worked fine. But I think, you know, there's something about the parts that make them disposable. That doesn't mean it's not good. It just means you need to have a lot of replacement parts and be quick at, at replacing them because they break over and over and over and over again. And without that, there's going to come a time where that won't work. I go to competition. So, like, the stuff that I do is basically meaningless, right? We go out, we spend a lot of money, and we like to test ourselves in the field. But the big picture is that A, it's meaningless, B, we do it for fun, and the consequences of gear failure are you spend a little more money than you wanted to for results that you didn't go expecting to get because of a piece of equipment failing. Trust me, I've got a lot of stories of equipment failing and being so sad about it, <laughs> and so does everybody else who shoots for a long time. And so, uh, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what else to say about that because in the silly games that we play, it doesn't have a huge influence on that. You know, I just, I'll shoot more kneeling than I will standing if my legs won't extend. You have to pull the legs out and clean them in all the brands because dust gets in there and they'll start to jam. Jamming is different than breaking. In the dusty and dirty environments that we go to, legs are going to stick if you don't clean them. And they look very clean, but it's just a tiny amount of dust can get in there and they won't extend or they won't go back in. Get in the habit of popping the rings off, pulling the legs out, wiping them down with a cloth, putting them back in, and making sure that it's very, very clean in there and you won't get those jams and hang-ups. That is vital for the field performance and consistency. And then when the plastic uh, gasket stuff breaks, just make sure that you have backups. And if you don't, understand how to use it with the legs stuck in the position that they're stuck in because, you know, it's not, it's not going to change, right? Now, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a uh, law enforcement um, I'm not a hunting guide and, you know, I'm not deployed overseas using a tripod. In those scenarios, you would be fucking crazy to use something that breaks, right? It, but that's not the scenario that I'm talking about. I'm just talking about fun and games. And if you're listening to this, chances are you're using it for fun and games. If, if it's like a life-threatening or uh, an income-threatening kind of thing, it's a different conversation. But that doesn't really affect me. If, if you were going to deploy me, I would not use something that had the chance of breaking that much in the field because that would mean... I mean, it would be like loading your rifle with dummy rounds that would cause failures. Like, at the range, great. At a competition, fine. You know, you know how to clear the malfunction. You know how to do that. But those seconds that are costly in clearing malfunctions, clearing failures, and getting over it, those are great skills to have. But there's a time and a place where those things you pray to God, don't happen. Um, I, don't, I don't put myself in those situations. I just test the stuff out, and I know for sure that um, in those situations, it would be a really bad day when that shit didn't work, right? But you know your use case. I know my use case. And since then, I've continued to use these two tripods. I like them both. I use them both. I don't stop using them, but now I've gotten so used to, you know, the habits and behaviors of both. You know, if I need a stable shot, I use the two vets. I understand that the leg might pull out or it might get stuck and I might have to shoot from a weird position because one of the legs is, you know, at a standing height and the other ones are at kneeling height and the standing one, I can't do anything except for change the angle. Great, I can manipulate it such that I could shoot from a height 
that I can build a position at and I shoot just fine. But uh, that's problem solving at a competition that works great. And I'll continue to do it. I used it, I used it um, last weekend and uh, you know, did all that stuff and I, I can't blame any missed shots to tripod stuff um, because it didn't happen. And sure, there was there was failures and, and things that you had to accommodate for because the legs didn't work right, but it was stable, and I wanted that one-tenth precision over reliability of leg deployment and a one-tenth more wobble at a championship. I needed more precision because I understand that I can build a position just about anywhere on anything. That wasn't, that wasn't an issue for me. Um, if it was a case where I was out in the field and I couldn't, I didn't have the gaskets and I didn't have all that stuff, of course, I would, I would probably lean the other way and use the really right stuff one because in two years, I've had no issues since then. But their customer service is like pretty dog shit, right, uh, in my experience. So I don't want to have to deal with them. And I've been continuing to use the tripod and it's been working great. So what do I look for in a tripod? I look for the ability to have a stable shot. It has to be stable and it has to meet the expectations of my marksmanship at the moment. And I do that by comparing it to Riflecraft drills on a solid prop. So if I take a solid prop and I shoot standing, kneeling, seated prone, I should be able to do the exact same group size off of a tripod, standing, kneeling, seated prone. And I have my very best groups ever standing with a bag on the top of the tripod. And um, standing with a bag on the top of the tripod, holding my rifle, not clipped into the Anvil 30, and kneeling and seated and prone, I expect to shoot an inch, right? If I have a one-inch shoot-and-see or something like that, all the shots should be in there. And that's my personal criteria. Now, I know my gun usually, I mean, I shoot factory ammo, and, and lately factory ammo has been also garbage. And so you say, well, the factory ammo shoots an inch and a half. I Obviously, I'm not going to shoot a one-inch shoot-and-see. Um, I'm going to shoot an inch and a half shoot and see. And I understand that that is a good group because the ammo itself, but you have to do a higher volume, right? Not three shots because you could probably get three shots in one hole. But if you shoot 20 rounds with ammo that shoots an inch and a half, <clears throat> you're going to see that statistically, um, that's that spread, right? And that's why you don't want to shoot groups and test ammo and get numbers off of a few shots. You want to have a higher volume of shots because that variance, you need that variance to come out. And that variance tells you a lot about expectations of hits. So on a tripod, I expect to shoot as good as I do off of any stable prop standing, kneeling, seated, prone. And if it's less than that, it starts to get marks against it. At some point, the diameter of the, the base of the tripod gets small enough where that group starts to open up. Right. And that's that's a skill level that I lack that I'm striving towards such that, you know, the, the narrower the base gets, the less stable it gets. And that highlights a weakness in my shooting ability. Right. It's not a flaw of the system. The system just is just a base diameter, but it becomes less and less stable such that, you know, the ultimate goal is you want maximum instability, which would be offhand. And you would like to be able to still shoot an inch offhand. But I can't do that. So I'm slowly reducing the size of that diameter. But when you go out and do something, you want to make sure that the thing that you're using uh, highlights your strengths, not, not your weaknesses, right? So know the diameter 
and the tools that allow you maximum efficiency. If I put a really right stuff ball head on there instead of a bag, it opens up a tenth because of what I attribute to mechanical wobble of that system. It's not the tripod, though, I don't think. It's the stability of the whole system. So the base and the vibration that occurs in the ball head and locking it down just right and getting it kind of on target just right, it's a little harder to fine-tune using a ball head than it is rifle stuck on a bag because you can get that aim point exactly where it needs to be. And sometimes I find with a ball head, when it's locked in, I kind of have to guide it that last little bit or if I lock it in it might be a tenth low or a tenth high or a tenth left so then I unlock it and I put it back in it's a tenth low tenth high but I can al almost steer the tripod that extra tenth um, or whatever and and by doing that you're losing a little precision but when you're talking about function and time as a relationship it's very hard to get that ultim ultimate precision with the ball head that you can with a bag on the other hand if you're just going to sit there you can't just sit with your rifle sitting on a bag for extended period of, periods of time without running the risk of having it knocked over. Or, or if you're panning, you could pan the bag off of the prop. I'm sure you've probably experienced that where you put a bag on a prop or something like that and you're panning and you're moving it and stuff and the bag slowly rolls off the side and then you have to fix it and all that stuff. And you eliminate that issue with a ball head clipping in. So there's massive advantages in certain scenarios to having a ball head you can clip into because you can go hands-free basically, right? So... If you can go hands-free and you have the luxury of being able to let go and let it support your rifle system while you do other stuff, if you need to kneel down or pan back and forth, uh, I could think of massive advantages to having a ball head that you can clip into. But you have to be able to adjust it fast and know, you know what the capabilities are. Whereas you know, if it's just build it, take the best shot that you can with a bag, you're going to maximize that a little bit by just using the bag over the top of it. And in my experience, but that's my personal skill set, and it's something that I continue to grow on. And I continue, so that's what I look for. I look for base stability, and I don't want the legs to flex. Like if I lean into it, I don't want it to flex. If I back off of it, I don't want it to flex. Like I want the tripod to be stable and not flex. And I find that upright, obviously, the narrower the legs are to the to the center of of um, gravity, the less flex there are. So if you put the legs way out to the side so that they're extended. So let's say you're going to do kneeling, but so you go standing and then instead of collapsing the legs and shrinking it down and having that same leg angle, you extend the legs way out to the sides so that you get the same height, but now you're flexing the legs in a way where it almost bounces. That's going to influence your shootability and your repeatability over time. And so extending the legs massively out to the side, it might be faster because you just pop, swing, go. But you have to understand that that's going to influence the ability to manage recoil, the ability to follow up and spot your shots. And if you lean into the tripod at all, it's going to flex the legs and it could have an impact on your point of impact, right? You can have deflections in your point of impact. And my guess would be in that scenario, you're going to have more vertical spread than you will horizontal spread when the legs are out to the side and it's flexing. I've tested that myself and I know what positions I feel most comfortable in with the legs in different orientations. Now, the time that I would spread the legs out fat to the side is in deep snow, right? You don't want the legs to just shoot down right into the snow. They can sit across the snow and it's a very stable shot. So when you see like pictures of tripods standing out in the snow, maybe they have the little um, pull cups on the ends of it. But in reality, uh, if you're out in deep snow, and you put your gun on a tripod that's standing upright, the legs are going to just shoot down into the snow. 
and the pressure and force in there is probably going to melt the snow and it's not going to be a stable, reliable position, right? But if you fan it out to the side like it's prone, it distributes the force and the mass across the surface of the snow and ends up being a really stable shot. I love that. Anytime there's deep snow and I can go up in Montana or Idaho on snowmobiles, I'll bring a snow shovel, I'll dig a little pit that I'm going to shoot out of, and I'll just splay out the tripod like that. And it's just super fun. You're low to the ground, you get to see cool stuff, and the shots are stable as it gets. Um, and that's it. I, I don't look for it to get super tall, um, I don't, but I want it to be able to get low if I need to. So I lean towards those mid-range leg lengths like the Recon or the, the, the Ample 30. Uh, I forget the name of the, the tripod that I have. Um, but that's the thing, and that's, that's what's been going on. Thousands of rounds and hundreds and hundreds of hours in the field, and they've both continued to perform and continue to be the tripods that I've been using since that initial test. So I still have both, and I continue to use them and develop techniques to shoot off of different props and stuff. Uh, you see a lot of pictures and video of people shooting high angle and in weird locations, and they're doing funky things with their tripods. Some of it, I kind of scratch my head. Like, it seems a little bit cheesy and gimmicky, and I bet that their point of aim, point of impact is affected by doing some of that stuff. But if you see that stuff, test it on paper at 100 and tell me whether uh, you get no point of aim, point of impact with some of the things that you see. That's going to be the proof that that technique works. And, um, you know, I I don't... uh, I still think that if you're budget conscious the two vets is the way to go, right? Because you're, you're going to save $300 and $300 is, you know, a couple rounds these days, but, um, it's still $300 that you could spend on something else. If you save $300, um, and I'm saying that because you're going to have to buy a ball head and the only ball head that I would get is the Anvil 30. So if you're going to save three or $400, um, that's still the way to go because they perform flawlessly. Now the, the, the other question would be like, you know, how many, replacement parts are you going to carry with you in the field versus can you not afford to carry that stuff and replace it in the field? That would be another story. And then you would ask yourself, is it worth $300 difference to have something that, that, um, you know, maybe less stable, or maybe if something goes wrong, it takes me too long to get it back versus, um, you know, how does it work? I, I don't know. To me, they're, they're pretty even, you know, as, as far as I'm concerned, they're pretty even. They both work good. They have thick, stable legs. They are not too heavy. they perform the way that I need to and have grown to expect them to perform. I'm sure there's other competitors out there, but they're just not sending them to me for free. They always comment. They always hit me up and tell me to buy them, but I'm sick and tired of just buying stuff that people tell me that I should buy and test and talk about. Um, All the stuff that I have done that for and it fails, I, I feel like, okay, I don't want to talk about this stuff, so I haven't, and none of it has held up like this equipment. So chances are I've looked at it. Chances are I've tested it. Chances are if I don't talk about it, it's because it broke and I don't even want to give them uh, airtime. So uh, so that's that. Another thing that I've tested is the Oddballs Incorporated. So Oddballs, like uh, Sky, he came up with the SkyPod, right? So everybody knows, you know, if you don't know what a SkyPod is, um, I don't know. You're going to have to find another podcast to listen to. Uh, and um, that same guy, Sky, came up with this little gun clip. And the gun clip, you know, you may have seen pictures of it. And I thought, okay, well, that, that seems kind of cool. I wonder how it works. And so I got two of them, and I've been playing with them in different configurations. And I love them. I think they're amazing. And so 
I am going to have some pictures, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that clip because I think it's pretty cool. It's not too expensive. It attaches to your rifle, to a backpack shoulder, to a chest rig. You can clip it onto a, to a shooting bag. You can clip it onto your, to all sorts of stuff just to have it clipped on to the outside of something in a way that's pretty secure and holds what you need. I used it in the Burris Optics Team Challenge where you have to run a couple miles with your gear, and we use those to secure the rifles to our chest rigs and bags to our, our shooting belts so that you could run and not have to carry a backpack and not have to carry extra stuff, but there's only so much you can have in your hands. And so I decided to field test it there first, and Sky was there, and he did the same thing, and my partner did the same thing, and Dorgan did the same thing, and Colin did the same thing, and everybody's doing the same thing, and they've never not worked. And so it's very fast and easy to deploy your rifle. Now, sure, there's plenty of scenarios where I can imagine it not being what you would want. But at a competition where you're just running around, and you just need something to take the load off so you're not just carrying it in your hands, it works great. And you don't need to carry a huge backpack, and it's clipped to you, and it's light, and it's fast to deploy, and it's easy to get back on. They are pretty darn cool. Now, he's not a sponsor, and, and he didn't, and I bought them and all that stuff, but I do like to talk about the things that I'm testing and using, and I think so far, I haven't found a flaw with that. So if you look at Oddballs Incorporated, I don't know how what the relationship Sky has with MDT, because MDT bought the SkyPod, and so I don't know if it's listed on their site or not. Um, I just reached out to him directly, but... He has a little side company called Oddballs. Or you see the, the, the logo is like OBI or something. Oddballs Incorporated, I think it is. Anyway, check it out. It might be cool. It might be something that you would want to use. Uh, don't necessarily run out and buy it, but ask people to have them to tell you about how they work and how they're using them. Um, and I can maybe start making some posts about how I'm using it. Other things that we've been testing are alternative wind meters, You know, things that may or may not need batteries, things that are a little bit simpler and more affordable because there's a lot of expensive tools that work amazing. Like my Kestrels work amazing, but they're expensive. And sometimes all I need is a wind speed and, and, and a way to get wind speed and direction. And so do you want a $500, $700 piece of equipment that tells you wind speed and direction if there's a cheaper one? I don't know. Like there's nothing wrong with it, but it's nice to have simpler, cheaper, cheaper, just as effective options. So I've been testing some of those things and some of them have been really neat and coming out of the sailing world with Doppler and all sorts of cool shit. And they're, they're very affordable. Um, and then other ones are, are uh, chronographs because, you know, you really do need to know the speed of your bullet. Otherwise you can't make predictions as to the drop that you're going to need at distance. But getting an accurate speed is tricky because at a flat, clean range, you can have a labrador, you can have a magneto speed, you can do all sorts of things. But out in the field or on a course, or on a hunt or somewhere where you can't just carry all that big cumbersome stuff around or things that have point of impact shifts or all sorts of attachments and spacers and all that stuff. Like, so you know, how would you do it elsewhere? Sure, you could shoot and then you could reverse calculate your velocity. But there's a lot of problems with that too because that demands that you shoot, right, to a, to a tenth. And most people don't shoot to a tenth. And do you know if that was perfect elevation? I don't know. Carrying some of these other Doppler systems that just clip onto your rifle have no point of impact shift. They're small, they're concise, but they're pretty expensive. So, so it has been harder to test some of these other ones, but we've been getting our hands on them, testing them across platforms, and it'll be fun to talk about those um, as more and more data starts coming in. But we've been doing that for, for now 
quite a long time, but more units become apparent every time I mention them or post it. So then it's like, all right, let's find somebody that has one and let's see how it works. And, and the, the use case scenario for some of these is amazing because you could literally just leave them on your rifle and always have velocity. So you would know every shot to shot velocity, which would be kind of cool, right? If you've listened to Chad Heckler's Miles to Matches, they talk sometimes about a trick that they use of saying that they're, you know, it's likely over the course of a match their velocity is going to increase. But imagine having a device on your rifle that doesn't affect its performance, it doesn't affect its weight, it doesn't affect its shootability, but you literally get shot-to-shot speed data through that match. That could be pretty badass because you could justify increasing the velocity on your your, um, ballistic calculator from real hard data and not just the suspicion that maybe at the end of the day with a hotter barrel or a hotter afternoon, your, your, your velocity is higher, but actually having something s- tell you that and reinforce that is, would be pretty, pretty freaking cool. Right. And, and I like that idea. I, I like the trick that they'd mentioned and I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was smart. I thought, you know, it makes sense. They're good and they perform well at competitions. Imagine complementing that suspicion that they have with a device that could validate it. That would be fucking awesome, right? So uh, right now, anyway, um, so this was just kind of impromptu, but I thought it'd be cool to talk about some of those things, to follow up a little bit about the tripods because my stance really hasn't changed a whole lot, although it's come from being skewed from the two vets wildly to realizing, well, you're going to have to spend a little bit more on a ball head and then the the fix the problem issue turns out that you know even though they both both broke kind of within a month of having them um that didn't repeat itself monthly over the last two and a half years um or at least with both of them it didn't happen or or three of them it didn't happen it happens with um with with just just the just the two vets but it's not a flaw with that. It's just that the parts aren't very good. And Dan is happy to give you more gaskets. So you just give it to him, and, and that, that end of the customer service is pretty sick. So reach out to him, and he'll mail it to you. Easy peasy, and everybody's happy, and you go uh, on with your day. So, and I'm going to, um, let's see, I got a big list of topics here. So uh, stay tuned. I got a lot to talk about. <laughs>